Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fat Guy Forum. I am your host, Gourmet, a.k.a. Gourmet underscore goes underscore keto on Instagram. Glad to have you all here with us today. I am very excited to talk to my guest today. I have Miles Russell with me, and he is Telecron on Instagram, but we'll get a little bit more into that. But I'm excited to talk to him. He is my meat master but also a really good friend that I got to meet in person at KetoCon. And Miles has a great story. And the other thing I can always count on with him is that he doesn't sugarcoat anything. I mean, yes, he's keto, but he will not pull punches when it comes to giving opinions and letting you know what he thinks if you ask him a question. So I'm excited to see what we come up with today. So, Miles, how you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Good. Well, Glad you can join me on this where it's Saturday morning. Who knows when people are going to hear this, but it's a Saturday for us. And um, I, I thought we'd just start by going back into your history a little bit, Get let you tell a little bit of your story, talk about when you started gaining weight and, and what that was like and get into your, your life as a fat guy. Yeah, as I, as I like to j- joke, um, I consider myself to be a former fat kid. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult now. Um, I'm 33. And have lost a significant amount of weight. Um, at my maximum, I was about uh, 465 um, at six foot five. But I've basically, until I lost all the weight, I was um, fat since I was a kid. Um, but going back to when I was a kid, you know, I started out relatively healthy, just looking for my own photos of myself and just my memory. You know, from you know early childhood on, I was like any other kid. You know, I played sports, you know, basketball in elementary school. Um, you know, perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. My, my dad was a cyclist. And so he was always in good shape. Um, and everything was, was relatively normal. Um, but by the time I was in middle school, I was obese. And I remember, um, thinking about a little bit, um, just myself, like, you know, you're getting a little bigger, but the first time it really like sunk home was I remember going to the doctor with my dad in about sixth or seventh grade. I want to say seventh grade, um, for like, you know, just a physical checkup. Um, my dad took me to the doctor and I d- distinctly remember even like the just vividly, like the shirt I was wearing, the room, everything. I was wearing this lime green polo shirt because it was like seared in my memory. And the doctor um, weighs me and tells my, my dad, you know, um, has your son started eating more lately? You know, is he like, you know, o- overeating because he's he's overweight for his height. He, he's basically obese. Um, he didn't say it that way, but that was the gist of the conversation. And I, I sure. still remember my dad this day being like, no, he eats exactly what I eat. You know, like there's no, he's not eating more than I am. But my dad didn't realize like a child of, you know, my size shouldn't be eating as much as someone who rides his bike like 40 miles a day. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, and so that's when um, I remember, I distinctly remember like being called obese by a doctor. And I was in, in elementary school. I was one of the popular kids. You know, I had like my little clique of friends. We we had, we played basketball during recess. No one bullied me because I was, you know, when you're in elementary school as a kid, you're not necessarily as tall as the girls. But I was never a short, like puny kid. You know, I was popular. When I got to middle school, I kind of carried that momentum because a lot of my kids from elementary school came with me to the same middle school, and so I had my friend group. Um, no one was really bullying me, but by that point, you know things have changed, you know, you're starting to get hormones and you're like, you get crushes on girls and then you start to feel left out mm. and not like in the in crowd. And again, no one really could mess with me because I was bigger, but that's when people would start to make comments. Oh, like, you know, you're getting kind of thick or, you know, 
you know, you're, you got jelly rolls or something like that. And I was able to mm. kind of like, you know, shake it off a little bit, but that's when I really started to notice like the social consequences of being a bigger kid. Um, like gym class started to get really weird because, um, you would, we would change into gym clothes. And I, I was the first time I had to take my clothes off in front of other kids. And I was like, Oh, you know, they're going to think I'm fat. And I, I distinctly remember that started being awkward. Um, at the same time, it was like a perfect storm of, uh, of conditions that led to me just to get fatter and fatter because in elementary school, like you're basically sent to school with whatever food your parents send you or you get food in the cafeteria. But at, in middle school, they had vending machines and they had vending machines with Fruitopia. Mm. You know, if I'm not sure if you remember Fruitopia, but it was like Coca-Cola's attempt oh, yeah. to make like a, a, a healthy, basically fruit juice, even though fruit juice has tons of sugar in it. It was like a sugar mm -hmm. fruit soda. And I fell in love with the strawberry Fruitopias. And I would always ask my mom to give me some money so I can get a Fruitopia. And then, so I started drinking soda. Um, or, and I had more, I was going to and from school by, by myself. So I had an allowance so I could buy like whatever junk food I wanted or, or whatever. And so I started to, um, basically on my own drink a lot more soda. Um, and, and after discovering it, um, and from vending machines, my dad never, um, he wasn't, my dad ate a very unhealthy diet. Like my dad, um, I don't want to throw genetics out, but my dad has always been like relatively good shape, um, his whole life until very recently, still in good shape. But like he, my dad basically had a six pack from, you know, before I was born until he turned 50 and he rode his bike everywhere. He was really into to cycling still is. But as a consequence of that my dad basically never had to like ever think about nutrition. He never had to diet. He never had to like mm. watch what he was eating. He could eat whatever the, whatever he wanted really. And he really ate like a really unhealthy diet. Um, at least for somebody who would be like insulin sensitive or insensitive, he would have, um, you know, peanut butter and salt, saltine crackers. He ate a lot of pop tarts, like cereal, um, mm. chips, all that kind of stuff. Like my dad's diet was basically like Coca-Cola you know, saltine crackers and peanut butter, you know, lots of, um, the goldfish crackers, whatever fast food. He just ate, um, a very like, um, you know, high calorie diet. And then he'd be like, Oh, sure. this is what I'm eating. So why not my kids eat the same thing? He never like thought about that. Um, mm. I'm, I'm not trying to like blame him, but that's just probably what he was thinking. You know, he's just like, Oh, this oh, is sure. fine. This is normal. Cause you go from what works for you. Right. And so right. Whenever, my, my parents separated, um, when I was in middle school at the same time. And maybe I don't know if that caused me to like, somehow experienced trauma and want to eat more food. Like I never really thought about that because I started getting obese before my parents separated, but maybe that was a stressor too. I don't know. Um, but when my parents separated, my dad was now, Oh, my, who didn't cook for, for the family was in the position of having to provide meals. And so we go to my dad's house and it'd be like, whatever my dad had, <laughs> you know, you guys want some baked beans for dinner with some hot dogs or mm. you want to go get pizza, you know, um, it'd be lots of like, just very, uh, very like junk food kind of food meals and that contributed sure. to it. At the same time, my mom, um, you know, was now not my parents co-parented, but my mom was primary custody. She got me, um, you know, during me and my brother during the weekdays, my dad was more of the weekends until the summer, but during normal like school year, my mom was also trying to finish, um, a graduate degree. And so she was going to school and she really, you know, looking back, my mom said, Hey, I, I you know, you were kind of a self starter. So I didn't have to like, you know, I, I could really, you could, you could like prepare food for yourself, um, and you know, your brother. So I would kind of like let, let you, let you cook more and, you know, take care of yourself, um, while she was like busy with school and work. 
and trying to be a single mom almost. And so she would make sure there's enough food around, um, for us. And that's basically, well, you know, whatever we wanted to eat, you know? So again, my mom was, mm. wasn't, wasn't focusing on providing like the healthiest, um, you know, most nutritious meals. And so that led to this environment where my dad is basically letting us eat whatever he eats. My mom basically letting us eat whatever we want or bringing home fast food because she's too tired to cook. Um, at school, I'm having soda. And outside of that, I'm not really like exercising a lot. Um, and so I just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I remember if you look at my like middle school yearbook, like my, I think my sixth grade picture, I look like a normal kid, but by my ninth grade, I looked like a fat kid. And it's like that those three years, it's just a big transition. Um, mm. and so then like, I, I kind of knew there was an issue. I remember during some, I was in summer camp, um, in middle school, um, at least through seventh grade. And we, there'd be like pool days, um, or stuff like that. And I would just always like, oh man, I don't want to do a pool day because then someone's going to see my stomach. And I was like terrified of like being seen with my shirt off. Um, and then same thing like gym class when I would just wait, I would wait for everybody to like get changed before and after gym class. So they wouldn't see me swatched, change out of my, um, my normal school clothes into my gym shirt, gym shirt. And I was, cause I don't want anyone to see me. And so I remember starting to be self-conscious. Um, mm. and so then I get to high school and high school is just, that's like, even though I was a big kid and, you know, started playing football and stuff, like people start to like, oh, you're fat or blah, blah, and like making fun of you. And I did my best to kind of like shake it off. And I just remember like hating gym class again, cause uh, I'd be like trying to run and not being able to do a mile run without stopping. Um, and again, having to have students like see you with your, with your clothes off in gym class and then re realizing that you figured like, oh, I'm never going to get a girlfriend because I'm overweight and all the cool kids are in shape. Um, and that's when it really started to like be annoying, you know, and something that was at least mm. on my mind. Um, by that point, my mom was trying to lose some weight. She had, I read, I looking back, I remember she had the Atkins book, like Dr. Atkins, like new diet revolution. And she briefly tried that, I remember, but it didn't stick very long because what her, what her, her, her plan ended up being like, I'm going to get healthy food. And in here in Seattle, there is a grocery store chain called PCC. I think it stands for Puget Consumer Co-op. And it's kind of like, you know, your, your proto whole foods kind of store, um, back in the nineties and, and early two thousands, you know, like organic stuff, um, and quote unquote healthier things. But what that ended up being was just like healthy versions of food that was still going to make me fat, like Hanson soda, mm. which is just like soda, but clear instead of dyed with artificial right. colors, you know, like, healthy chicken sandwiches, healthy ice cream. That's just low fat, but still has plenty of sugar. And, you know, so mom was trying, but uh, you know, and then we didn't like any of that food. We're like, mom, this is gross. And, you know, we rebelled against her. And then she kind of just kind of gave up at some point. And so, mm. um, and then by high school, I was the one primarily cooking for me and my brother. Um, and just like, that was basically, we just say, mom, we're out of food. We need more food. And it just led to an environment where we could eat and eat and eat. Um, in summertime, I didn't have a job wasn't summer camp anymore so you know it's basically like in a, an environment where i had whatever food i wanted and I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger um and like it i think i'm not sure i don't recall how heavy i got during high school because i didn't weigh myself but I, I think sure i think i remember being like probably in the 300s somewhere in the 300s mm. um and was your brother overweight then too yeah yeah we, we both became overweight he was always a little bit smaller mm. than me but by the time um we we're both in high school and graduating. We were both pretty big. Sure. And then I, I got to college 
And I distinctly remember the first, the first time I was like, I need to lose weight. I'm going to try losing weight was college. And it wasn't out of any health reasons is purely out of vanity. Like I wanted to girlfriend, mm. you know, I wanted, I wanted to, to, I wanted someone to like me. And I remember there's I have right. a friend who's still a great friend to this day. Um, and he was this really attractive guy. Um, and he could basically get at whatever girl he wanted. He was in great shape. And he actually used to be overweight at one point in high school, but he had gotten himself into really good shape. And like, I was like, I want to be like him. I'm going to go to the gym, work out. I'm going to like exercise. I had no idea what I was doing besides, cause I had, I, you know, lifted weights for football, but never really like with the goal of trying to get in shape and lose weight. So I didn't really have a plan. I was like, I'm just gonna go to the gym and start working out. Um, and so I started going to the gym. Um, being in college, you know, I had less access to, like, I wasn't like living in a house with a kitchen that was full stocked, you know, down the, down the, the hallway. But, um, you know, you start drinking more. So there's that factor, but I was, you know, more active. I was walking around more on campus. Um, and so I actually did lose a little bit of weight my, um, my first year of college. I, um, went home that summer and joined a gym and I came back my second year of college and probably had dropped about 50 pounds. Everyone's like, well, Miles, you look good. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want. I want to, I want to, mm. I want people, to, I want people to like me and, and think I, I am attractive and it works. You know, I got a girlfriend, um, and you know, life was relatively good. Um, and I was able to kind of, you know, I was still overweight. Look, if you look at me in photos, I'm still a beast. I'm still overweight. I'm probably like upper two hundreds, maybe like 280, 290, I think, if I remember weighing myself at one point. Um, but that was much better than before, like where I was in the 300s. Um, and life was relatively good. Um, my second year, after my second year of college, I um, studied abroad in Spain. And in Spain, I had, you know, I was living with a family and eating mostly Spanish food. And without even trying, I just lost weight because, you know, I wasn't eating, you know, a bunch of junk food all the time. I was eating like relatively healthy home-cooked meals and you know, doing a lot of walking, um, and came back from Spain, probably the slimmest I've ever been in my entire life. And everyone's like, wow, you look great. And I was like, yes, this is, this is what, this is what I want. And it was, it was motivated purely by vanity. Um, again. And so I came back from Spain, I got my own apartment for the first time and was like, okay, now I got to cook for myself. And mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I didn't really know how to cook. And so all my meals became for breakfast. It was going to be like cereal, like free pebbles. For lunch, it was probably going to be eating out somewhere on campus, like Subway, um, which is healthy, right? You know, Subway, a whole grain sandwiches and stuff. Oh, um, yeah. Foot and for dinner, Yeah, exactly. And for mm. dinner, it would be like pasta or, or frozen pizza. And that was like my diet, um, you know, with a healthy um, amount of alcohol because you're in college. And I gained all the way back, all the way back. Mm. I simply remember when I, like I had, I got down to, um, I think, a, a size 36 waist pants. Um at one point, and that was like mind blowing to me because I was in the forties um, and like high forties, right? And so I got down to a thirty six waist pants um, when I was in Spain. I was like so proud of myself. And then, oh, I need a thirty eight now. No, now I need a forty. Now I need a forty two. You know, oh, forty four. And I'm like, oh man, I'm just like my pants mm. are, are are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, I'd ride my bike a lot, and it was just hard to ride my bike. And my mom bought me; she had bought me like a winter jacket, and that stopped fitting. And at my time, I'm just in my head kind of downplaying this, but I, I, you know, I realized I was getting bigger, um, but I just kept gaining weight. Um, and so then I graduated from college and was probably back in the three hundreds and, you know, wasn't, wasn't too like, like down about it, but just definitely realized that I had regained the weight. I wasn't where I was. I was mm. insane. Um, 
I had a girlfriend though. Life was good. I, I graduated <laughs> from college. Um, we moved to California um, and I got a job. So like from like most of the things that you need from life, like everything's good. I have a place to live. I have a, a girlfriend who loves me. I'm employed. Um, so like life is relatively good. And, and, and when everything's kind of going that way, I didn't have any health problems. You don't really have that much motivation to kind of change yourself. Um, oh, yeah. so I, I get to California and my girlfriend's mom wants to help us get on our feet. You know, she's like, Hey, I'll take care of you guys and I'll, I'll buy food. And, you know, until you guys get jobs and a place of your own. And she, you know, basically re- resulted in us going out to eat all the time. We'd go to like Chili's or there's this, this uh, uh, barbecue chain in Southern California called Lucille's or like Macaroni Grill. Oh, yeah. these, like, Cal- all these California restaurant chains and I get whatever I want. And, you know, we go to Dairy Queen or we go to Costco and get Costco pizza and like pita chips and slowly but surely, I guess, started getting more weight. And then I got a job and I was like, you know what? Um, I told my, my, my ex-girlfriend, like, we should, I, I want to lose weight. You know, I'm going to go to the gym. Um, I'm going to start tracking my calories. Um, and I'm going to do it. I remember like I took a photo of like some like gold pants I was going to fit into and I bought some protein powder and had this plan of attack. I bought all these supplements. Um, and I still have these photos of all these things like, you know, of like, here's my, 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 my fitness plan. I'm going to lose weight. Um, and oh, wow. I gained weight. I gained weight. <laughs> I trying to mm. lose weight. I got bigger. I was like logging oh, wow. my calories into a spreadsheet, um, and, and gaining weight. And it's probably cause I was lying to myself, doing a horrible job. And mm-hmm. just, and even, even like I tried to, to go for, to, to jog and stuff. And my, my foot was always in pain. I was just like, I was just getting, and I, and I started getting chest pain and I thought it was like stress at work. Um, I, I went to the doctor and back then my health insurance was at Kaiser, um, which was just down the street from my, my office. And the doctor's like, yeah, you have high blood pressure, um, you're mm. overweight, um, your cholesterol's elevated here. Take some oh, wow. of this. Um, I don't know like lisinopril or, um, whatever blood pressure, you know, cholesterol medication and some blood pressure medication and try to be less stressed out at work. I remember distinctly like two episodes of just having really bad chest pain. Like, you know, it was, it was nighttime and I was like, I woke up and my chest just hurt and I was like, what is this? And, and I, and I was just mm. looking back, it was just, it was high blood pressure and just like really, probably really bad. Right. Um, and so I went to the doctor he's like, take these medications, but they didn't really say anything. It's like, here's take these pills. You know, here you go. You know, not like you need to lose weight, but like, yeah, your, 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 your cholesterol is high. Your, your blood sugar is kind of high and here your blood high, take these medications. And that was kind of my first like wake up call, but I still kept getting bigger. Um, I, my, my work was kind of like a work hard, play hard kind of culture. And they kind of ply this with food They're, every Friday they would have, um, free bagels and cream cheese every month. They'd have a, a ice cream cake mm-hmm. day. Um, you know, like how office culture is where there's donuts and stuff, but like, and right, they, would, right. they would bring in like a food truck every now and then from in and out or from a taco truck to give us like free lunch. Oh, like wow. a, it was like a work lunch. So there's lots of food flowing around. They had yeah. a vending machine with like pop tarts in it. Down the street was, um, a grocery store where I'd buy lunch sometimes. There's lots of fast food places like Bahog Fresh, which was like, you know, a healthy, you know, Mexican style fast food place. Like no one had really good, like there was no fitness, like nutrition, like culture there. And it was like a horrible one. Mm. And I would come into work on Friday and I'd have, I'd have two bagels. I'd have one bagel with like cream cheese on it, like a savory bagel. And then I would get one of the cinnamon raisin bagels and eat that, like, you know, without any cream cheese on it. Cause I wanted a sweet bagel 
and then like a bagel with cream cheese on it. Mm. And then I'd have like whatever. And that was after having breakfast at home. And then I would have whatever lunch I was having. And it might be like, I, mean, I used to like go to Baja Fresh and I would get the big nacho platter. And I'm, I'm not sure how many calories that is, but probably like close to a couple thousand calories. And then I would come home and have dinner mm. with my, with my girlfriend. Um, it's like, no wonder I gained so much weight. And like, I didn't really think about it as me being eating way too much food. I just kind of was like, this is, this is normal and acceptable. Um, and then I think maybe some one coworker commented on me like, Oh, Miles, like, you know, pop tarts, like that's not the best thing to eat. And I'd be like, okay, you know, thank you for your criticism. Um, and, and, but that was it. Like that was the only time someone made a comment. And again, there was no, right. except, except for the high blood pressure. Like my girlfriend was, you know, we were happy. Like life was good, you know? Um, and then that's, that's when I decided to, to apply to law school. Um, and I took the LSAT got into law school um and we decided to go to the best school that i got into with the best scholarship and we moved across country to st louis um and mm. that point like i was starting to really feel the the health consequences you know still had high blood pressure like my my foot and ankle was always in pain uh, you know this is kind of graphic but i had like a rash under my armpit you know on the side of my body um, oh sure I, I was really in denial, but I really had really bad sleep apnea. Like I would wake up dreaming about choking or I wake mm. up finding myself at the window, breathing out the window. Um, and I'd be like, what's going on? And like, you know, my girlfriend never really noticed. And, she, and I, she's like, oh, you're just not sleeping well. Um, I, I would like, I was just in like in joint pain, like chest pain. Like I, I remember sitting down in law school and I would always have to take my belt, undo my belt in the middle of a lecture because it was digging into my gut so much. And, and, mm -hmm. and of course, like, again, I had a girlfriend, I wasn't alone or I had friends, but I was just really starting to feel bad. Um, and like, you right. know, again, I don't want to get too graphic, but my, you know, my libido was going down. I was being more and more like my mood was going down and I just didn't feel good. Um, but that still wasn't the wake up call. Like my first year of law school, I kind of coped through it by like just eating a lot. Um, you know, my girlfriend was in school too, you know, we're both really stressed out. Um, we were away from friends and family in a new place. You know, there was law school was had like, mm -hmm. a, like, you know, again, a lot of drinking and partying. And so she gained weight and I oh, gained yeah. weight. Um, that summer I worked for a professor. Um, and I remember just like my clothes not fitting, I constantly have to buy new pants. I got up to like 50, 52 or 54, um, waist jeans. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty big. But you know, you still don't, and then my coat stopped fitting. I had to buy a new winter coat because it's really cold there. And, I went to, went to, I remember oh, going yeah. to Chicago to see some friends and like no one really said anything, but I could tell that, you know, they noticed I was getting bigger. You know, none of them said, Hey, Miles, we're concerned about you, but I, I could tell they noticed and I just didn't feel good. And it just, mm -hmm. it just wasn't a fun, fun time. Um, and so I came back for my second year of law school and went to, I had to get a new suit for interviews and like there was a career fair that fall and I struck out, didn't get a job offer. And I was just really depressed. And I remember being like, for the only time in my life, I've really, really been depressed and was aware of it. And at that point in my life, like I would get up, I would, I would have breakfast, which is probably cereal. I would go to law school, probably have like an unhealthy lunch at law school, come home and my girlfriend would still be at school. And I would have like what I would call dinner, dinner part one. I would probably have like an entire bag of chips mm -hmm. or a frozen pizza on my own, something like that. And then my girlfriend come home and she's like, Hey, do you want to get dinner? And I'd be like, sure, let's get dinner. <laughs> and I'd have dinner number two, whatever, you know, she wanted. And we right. we went to fast food a lot or we, we drank, you know, cause we were both kind of depressed and unhappy. And I, that's, that was my life. I was just eating tons of unhealthy food. Um, 
So what happened was, is my prescription ran out for my blood pressure medication and my cholesterol medication. And I go to the student because I had health insurance at the school. And uh, again, this is still, this right, is all right. my memory. I go there and they say, you know, we need to weigh you. And so I get on the scale. I'm like, oh, the scale doesn't go high enough. And I'm like, oh, that's really embarrassing. Mm. Um, and so we t- they take me upstairs to the special scale and I'm like 465 pounds. And I'm like, wow, does that really wow. how big I am? And the, you know, that you can tell the person mm. weighing me is like, they're not, they're, they're not like commenting on that, but even they're just like, yeah, this person's really fat. Um, and the doctor yeah. comes in and she's like, you know, we did your blood test. You have, you have high blood pressure, you have high cholesterol and you're almost, you're pre-diabetic. I think my A1C was like four point something. And she's like, those are, mm-hmm. that's metabolic syndrome. And if you keep going this way, you're probably gonna get diabetes. Um, so you need to lose weight. And she said, you know, you're, you have, you have African-American genes. You're probably predisposed to high blood pressure. You need to do this diet called the dash diet. And they gave me this little pamphlet and it was like dieting around stopping hypertension. And I don't, I'm not sure like how, yeah, uh, how much I remember about it, but it was like eat whole grains and vegetables and stay away from sodium, eat less processed meat. Right. The, yeah. You know, classic healthy diet in, in quotation marks. The, of course, the classic prescription. Yeah. Yep. Oh, for and, sure. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this. Like I was, this was a huge way to Paul because I was scared. I did not want to die. Like, you know, it wasn't mm. about looking good um, or being fit because I had a girlfriend. I, I was in school. Everything I wanted in life, I had except for health. Um, I, mean, I guess I was broke, but that wasn't really the point back then. I was in school, but I was like terrified. I was legitimately right. terrified I was going to die at some point. Um, and like my, my best friend's father had just died of a heart, heart attack. And that was fresh in my memory. And mm. his father died in, in, his, in his late 50s. And I had known people whose had parents had strokes. And I was just, I was literally terrified. I was terrified that I was going to die. Um, and so that put like this fire in me that I needed to do something. So I came back home and I looked at the dash diet online and I was like down the street, there was a grocery store. And so I went to the grocery store and was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I started buying salads and like, you know, heart whole grain bread. And, you know, I was like, I'm not going to buy the fruity pebbles. I'm going to buy the Kashi, um, kind of like, you know, whatever cereal that is. And I'm going to do this. And I lasted a couple, maybe a week or two. And I was like, I can't do this. This is gross. I don't like any of these things. Um, and I need to, I need to give up. So I gave up and, I, and started, you know, went back to whatever I was eating, but then I was on CNN and it was like, I don't know if this, you know, I'm, I'm not like really a big divine providence type person, but on CNN, I'm just looking at it. There's sure. an article and it's like, man loses 200 pounds. And I'm like, huh, what did he do? Click on the link. And this guy's talking about the low carb diet. Um, this is before the word keto was mm. big. Um, Atkins had still been around, but he talks about the low carb diet. And I, mean, I haven't followed, looked and see if this guy's still, still around in the community anywhere, but he had lost a bunch of weight, um, lifting weights and eating a low carb diet. There was this thing called something awful, um, which is like an online forum. And they had this thing called the low carb mega thread. And he mentioned he'd found the low carb diet on that thread. And so I, st- I go to the thread and start reading it. And it's a lot of people talking about, you know, eating bacon and hamburger and not having any carbs and losing weight. I'm like, well, that sounds like that Atkins thing. And so I call my mom up and she says, yes, you know, like Atkins, it works. I've used it before. My mom's always struggled with the weight, but she recognized that it worked for her at some point. And so she mails me this book by Gary Taubes called um, Why We Get Fat. 
and I read this book. Right, the, right. Yeah, Great I read book. the book. And, you know, Gary Tobbs, I don't agree with everything he said or all of his views, but the, but, but right. he's got a lot of great points. Um, and so I read his book and I'm like, you know, this kind of makes sense. Like some of it didn't make sense to me, but enough of it made sense. Um, I was aware of what a calorie was, but I never really thought about sugar that much. I, then I, I watched this video on, on YouTube by Robert Lustig about like sugar and, you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this, this, this mm. all makes sense to me. Sugar and insulin. Um, so you know what? I'll try this. I can eat. I can eat meat. I can eat bacon. I can eat cheese. These are things I could eat. Um, it'll be hard to give up certain things, but I, but I can do this. And so I just started it and I bought a scale on Amazon. Um, and I put, I put the scale on the floor and it just said error because it was, I still weighed too much for the scale. And then a, a couple of days later, it said 448 pounds. And I was like, whoa, I've mm. lost like 20 pounds. And then, and then the scale kept going down and I was, and that's where I started. And that was, that was, uh, like, I think this, the fall of 2011. Um, and by the end of the year, I was at 400 pounds. And then the, it hasn't been, I guess, a consistent journey, journey from then till like, my lowest, but that was the start of my weight loss. That's awesome, man. Like you, you've definitely lived a journey with a lot of different moments on it. Um, so I appreciate you sharing all of that with us. I think there's a lot of people listening who can probably relate to a lot of things you were saying like i know there are different moments it's, it's funny because you're the second person that i've interviewed uh, so far for this podcast and I, I i hit the the elementary school journey and i keep waiting for someone to say they were like incredibly bullied or dealt with that and i haven't come across anyone who dealt with that yet um because that was definitely my story but I, I definitely relate to you know what you were talking about what what you went through with your family and you know being the person cooking after your, your parents separated that was definitely something i did and it's it's amazing to me, like to listen. You know, there's so many interwoven threads in all of our journeys, but then also we kind of take different different roads to get where we are. And and one of the things that that stood out for me that you were talking about towards the end there was really it seemed like facing your mortality was the the thing that really was your wake up call. And I, you know, having the, having the doctor talk to you about you know you're going to develop diabetes. You know, this is where you're at. Getting on that scale and having it not work. Why do you think it takes moments like that for us to kind of have that, that awareness? Like why? Cause you talked about some of the other things that happened earlier in your journey too, like in your life that weren't the wake up call. Like, why do you think it takes like that kind of a yeah, moment? That, that, that's the question I, I, I keep thinking about a lot myself. And it's just why, why was this one event like what it is? And I always tell myself, like, you know, there's that phrase people use sometimes, like, you know, your future self and your, in your past self, like thinking your past self. And I keep telling myself, I just think past miles every day that he decided to go keto because I have my health today because mm -hmm. of past miles seven years ago. And I'm like, why did miles seven year, years ago do this? Um, you know, why, why did he, he stick with it? And it's such an interesting like, um, question. And I really don't know. I think it took so long is because I think, you know, I was never bullied as a kid. Um, because I think that I've all, except for a few periods of my life, I've always been relatively confident and self-assured. Like my dad always raised me to, to be mm -hmm. a confident kid. My dad's always had that kind of that gravitas, that swagger, so to speak. And he didn't, I wasn't raised. He raised me not to be a bully. He's like, you don't need to bully anybody. But he's like, don't take anything from anybody. You know, if someone starts a fight, you know, finish the fight. Like he didn't tell me to beat kids up, but he's like, defend yourself. Because even if you lose, they'll respect you, you know. And so um, I never was in many fights, but I was always like, you're not going to mess with me, you know. And then when I got to high school. I told kids, you're not going to mess with my brother. You know, I will defend my brother. 
that's my job. And so I was always kind of right. like that outgoing character. And at some point I kind of developed the, you know, the classic fat guy persona where everything's kind of funny and nothing really phases you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I definitely had that persona at some point, but it was, I, most of like life I was able to get right until a certain point. Like I had friends, I, I, I started, I, I was able to skateboard even when I was fat, right? Even though I broke a lot of skateboards, I was able to like hang out with the kids I wanted to hang out with. Um, I, I wasn't really, right. I didn't have a lot of success with girls in, in elementary school, not elementary school, but like middle school and high school, but I was able to get a girlfriend, you know, I was able to like have most of life. Right. Um, it wasn't until like things like not being able to fit in rides at like theme parks or, you know, being in pain that I started to really like contemplate these things. Like there were lots, a number of embarrassing things that happened. Like, you know, at one point I was in California, you know, my girlfriend went to six flags and I couldn't fit in the ride or, and like I had to get off like the walk of shame or like I went to a store to like, Mm. find pants and then have pants in my size like there are these like little stings you know what i mean but like you kind of like oh this really right, this right. really hurts in the moment but you kind of just like okay whatever and move on and there just, i guess there just wasn't enough of those things that like added up to really motivate change but it, i guess at some point i just was just like a fear was instilled in me that like, you know like you will die at some point and i just don't want to die like to this day like right even though like you know, someone ever asked me, like, Miles, like, are you ever worried about, like, keto and your health? I'm, like, still kind of in the back of my head. I'm, like, well, I always want to make sure my cholesterol and health, heart health is good because I, I don't want to have heart disease at some point. And at one point in my life, like, I think I just was terrified of having heart disease. And that was the motivating factor. I was, like, I just mm-hmm. don't want to have a heart attack. I don't want to kill myself. I, I want my health. And then in, in law school, that's when my mortality was really like, cause that, until that point, like when you're in your twenties, you, you view yourself kind of in this young and vulnerable state. Maybe it was like being young and having testosterone and riding a bike without a helmet on and mm. all those dumb things you do. And at some point in your life, as you get older, I know it sounds cliche, but you get more mature. And part of that maturity is, you know, like, well, I need to take care of myself. I think that just the doctor saying right. you're going to get, I think diabetes was that word diabetes was like, cause like I'm not, I don't want to shame mm. anybody or put anybody down. But to me, diabetes has a little bit of stigma to it. And, and I, at least to me, it had oh, some yeah. stigma. Like, oh, you've, you're, you have given yourself this thing, like type two diabetes. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to identify as a diabetic. Right. And so that, that was kind of a wake up call. I think that, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think for me, like I had started my weight loss journey again, um, when I dealt with some major medical issues. And one of the things I learned during that time was that at some point in my life, I had a heart attack and didn't know it. And I think hearing that from a doctor basically kind of said to me, okay, you're doing the right thing and you need to not stop doing this because that's what's going to happen if you go back to this. You know, this time you're going to know that it happens. And I, I think you're right. I think there's a maturity that comes with realizing that we can put our health before other things. Like we can start to make our health a priority. Um, the the thing I found interesting that I, I like to if you're if you want to dive into a little bit is kind of how do you characterize your relationship with food then and now because you, you when you were talking about food you talked a lot about food either being what was you know how your parents ate passing that on to you or you know the environment you were in really affecting the food jo- choices you were making do you think that was just it or or do you do you also feel like you have you know, as, as we would all throw around the phrase, you know, issues um, with so, food. Yeah, I thought about this a lot. And I, I don't, I, I, I was never uh, a, a classic, like, binge eater, I don't think. I, I, looking back at my life, I've definitely had a couple, like, binge episodes. Mm-hmm. But I was never the person who just ate ice cream in their room by themselves 
and then purge himself the next day. I never had that kind of right. issue. I don't think I have I've never been much of an emotional eater. Like I, I was never the type of person who came home and was like, oh, today mm. sucked. I'm going to eat ice cream or I need to make myself a cake um, or I deserve it. I was just, um, I think, I think I started at a very right. young age of doing a lot of metabolic damage to myself. And I got to a point where I was always hungry. I, mm-hmm. That's m- my view of the situation. Like my appetite just mm. got out of control. I think it started with like, I, I love my parents. I'm, I'm never, I'm not trying to, to, to like to blame them for anything, but they were, they were never, they never had of healthy course, of course. food habits um, or learned how to provide healthy food for the family. Mm-hmm. So my dad never needed to. And my mom w- was unable to from like just putting everything on her plate. Um, and so the environment I grew up in was basically mm-hmm. whatever junk food I wanted because my mom um, allowed me to have that. And my dad was like, I eat junk food. So my kids need junk food. Um, and so when I was, when I, from a very young age, right. I ruined my, probably my like palate, not palate or satiety towards what normal food is like. I only wanted mm-hmm. salty, sugary, um, garbage as I, as I call it. Like my favorite things to eat were like, right, um, right. I always joke now that I'm keto, I eat like far more gourmet food than I ever did. Cause people always say like, do you miss anything? Do you miss all this nice stuff that you can't have? And I was like, I never ate that. I ate right. Pop tarts and, and, and all the junk food. I never mm. ate those good things that you're talking about. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, we grew up eating all this, 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 this hyper palatable food. And I never developed like a, a healthy understanding of what normal food tasted like or what normal portion sizes were. Um, everything was supersized, like giant sodas. Mm. And I think I just developed a relationship where I need tons of, of, of volume. And so looking back now, I think the, where I do have an emotional thing with food is I definitely have that. Um, I think this maybe comes back into having periods of life where, where there was a little bit of poverty in my family. Like my, my mom was a, a, like basically a single parent. Mm-hmm. My dad lost, lost, he went through a lot of periods of unemployment after my parents separated. And so there wasn't a lot of money. And sometimes even though there was junk food and enough food, there were times when there wasn't a lot of food, right? And you develop like this scarcity mentality sometimes. We're like, oh man. I really like that, that, that oh, yeah. we had, but we don't have that today. All we have today is like my dad's ham sandwiches. So uh, I, whenever I have access to this, I'm going to eat as mm-hmm. much as I can. So I think I developed that kind of like poverty mentality. Oh, completely. With food. And to this day, um, every now and then I'll mm. think oh, I don't have enough and I need to have, I make sure I need to make sure I have enough. Like that's kind of the mentality. I think I developed just like that scarcity mm-hmm. mentality. Like this is not going to be enough. I need to buy more. I'm going to be hungry. And then when you combine that, like it's not going to be enough with a like a raging appetite because of dysregulated hormones. Um, I think that's my real problem. Right, it's still, right. It's still something I deal with today because some people say, "Oh man, low carb it killed my appetite. I'm never hungry. I forget to eat." I'm like, "Who are you?" Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, keto has been the best mm-hmm. possible tool for <laughs> regulating my appetite, but I can still eat a ton of food if I if I if I choose right. to, you know, or allow myself to. So I think my my relationship with food was just. From a very young age, um, what became the, the norm was junk food, hyperpotable junk food, and as much quantity mm. as I wanted. Um, and that really led to me needing a ton of food to be satisfied, both maybe physically and emotionally, but also being in a situation in which I had a horribly out of control appetite. Like at the, before, before I, I found keto, um, in law school, when I was eating the most food, I would wake up and be ravenous, eat a bowl of cereal, be ravenous. Go to school, mm. be ravenous. Have a lunch, be ravenous. Come home, have a dinner, still be hungry, you know, and have a second dinner. Like I was always hungry, mm. always hungry. 
Um, and I always need to make sure like, Oh, you know, when are we going to have food again? Where's the food going to be? And like, I had this uncontrollable appetite. Like it, it was and that, that was really my issue. Um, maybe if I had like a chance to sit down with a therapist who could really unpack some stuff, they might find the real emotional issues like, Oh, childhood trauma or, or parents divorce sure. or rejection or something and really be able to like, um, unpack that. But I, I don't really see a lot of like, um, necessarily emotional eating, but then again, I'm not, I can't diagnose myself. You know, I'm not, we're not necessarily the most, we're not necessarily the most honest. Right. Right. Me, but I do have those issues, you know? And I, I think you're, you're, you hit on one of the, the crux of it all for most of us, especially those of us that grew up big and stayed big. We did a lot of damage to our bodies and our hormone processes as kids that carried over, fueled that appetite and then throw in any of the emotional components, exactly. you know, just amping it up. Like it's not like, it's not one or the other. And I think often, like, especially in like the diet space or even in the keto space, people want to say, I can nail it with X, Y, or Z being the exact answer as mm -hmm. to why you're hungry. And I, I, I'm just always like, I, there isn't, it's not that simple. And, and don't, don't try to boil that down. And speaking kind of of these hyper palatable foods, one of the things you and I have talked a lot about and we, we got to experience, uh, we were, Miles was at KetoCon. Uh, this, the, a couple of weeks ago, and we got to go onto that show floor where there was a ton of engineered hyperpalatable snacks. And how do you relate to those foods now that you're at this point in your journey? I mean, I think it's amazing that you're, I mean, you're, you're looking at being like eight years out from where you kind of got into it. Like that's, that, that's incredible to me that you're, you're even, you know, where you are in your journey. So I really, I applaud you for that. But now that you're, seeing more and more come onto the market because you know eight years ago that you know brownies you no. know brownies really weren't a big thing that tasted like actual brownies and 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 all of those things or cakes and stuff like that or ice creams how do how do you approach those foods now like what are you what are you what are your big yeah, thoughts so, on, so on that? I, that's something I, I actually think about a lot and i i think i've told you and a few other people that some things are too good too good for their own their mm -hmm. own well-being um and i've I, i've been so I've, I've been mm. doing, you know, keto for, for eight years, more or less. Um, and right with some periods of, of, of less seriousness, um, along the way, of course, but I've been there since like when quest bar was launched and, you know, some of the first products. And when I started, all there was, right. was Atkins bars on the market and they weren't even marketed as keto, but they were like low carb for Atkins. And since then we've, you know, when, mm -hmm. I, when I first started there, were like all, my snacks are basically just nuts. Um, and maybe some Atkins bars. And then I remember when Quest bars came out and then you had more and more products. And today, you know, at KetoCon, you have products that if no one told you they were keto, you would have no idea because they just taste delicious. Um, and mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is, tr is true is I, I look at food from, um, there, there's a lot of discussion in, 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 in the diet world about what's the natural, you know, diet and ancestral health and all this stuff. And like, you know, early man didn't have access to this and that. And I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, obviously we don't know these things, but like one thing is true is that there, there are certain foods that, that didn't exist in nature. Like we didn't have access to, to fat and sugar combined outside of like milk, for example. Right. And so there's a lot of food that, um, it, when, if we taste it, it triggers our brains in a way that we're not necessarily designed to handle, you know? Um, and I think that's very true for a lot of these, 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 these keto foods, which are just very, very, very delicious. Right. And you're trading one kind of addiction and reward mm -hmm. for another. Yeah, you're not eating a pop tart, but you're eating something that is almost is is for the brain or lights up the same pleasure signals. Um, and I'm ne I'll never be one of those people sure. who who is like 
oh man, I'm only going to eat like green vegetables and meat the rest of my life and never have a treat. I think that's a little bit unrealistic. But I have noticed that a lot of these foods, they're just, they're just crutches. Like I lost a lot of weight through keto and have kept it off. But there's definitely times where I'm just eating basically junk food because I can. I'm like, oh, it fits my macros. And I'm basically mm. eating. And, I, and I, I love, you know, a lot of these products as much as anybody and, and, and sing their praises. But a lot of them are just, you know, they're, they're just candy bars that are just more healthy, you know, to be honest. And I, and some of them, right, like, right. One of the things I still struggle with this today, and I'm, and what I'm probably the long term um, battle that I'll struggle with the rest of my life as I, as I try to get more normal is just having a, a mindful relationship with food. And some food I really cannot eat mindfully. I have mm. a bite of it and I'm like, I want to eat the whole box. Um, and it just overrides my hunger and satiety um, and makes me just ravenous. And a lot of these products do that. Um, I know you like nut butters and I like nut butters. I won't mention the company. But there's a company out there that makes some nut butter that <sighs> is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly uh, delicious. Even um, my girlfriend... My girlfriend hates most oh, yes. artificially sweetened things. Every time I have like a keto product, she like she'll try it. She's like, "Ew, the erythritol." Ew, I, I could, she just hates it, right? I remember, I distinctly remember buying this this brand of yep. nut butter and saying, "Hey, you want to try this nut butter?" And she she uh, takes a spoonful of it and she just like loses her mind and she basically ate the, she mm. ate the whole jar. But she basically between me and her, we ate the whole jar over the weekend. And she's like, that's dangerous. And I'm like, I'm like, you get it. You know, mm -hmm. so some of the, some of these things are just, they're just, your brain can't handle it. And I know some people can eat them mindfully, but it's just some of these oh, yeah. things. Like I remember Danny Vega talking about it once where he was like, yeah, someone sent me these, these samples and I ate the whole thing in, over the weekend. Even like Danny Vega, who's mm -hmm. like, you know, one of the most jacked in shape, you know, strong members of the community recognizes that these things are just so dangerous. Um, and I think that's, that's, and that's, that can be oh, right. And so it's trying to find, you know, and some of these products can be a great, uh, a great gateway into a more sustainable way of eating. But I think a lot of them are dangerous. And so my goal mm -hmm. is to try to like get a healthy relationship with some of these things. And I, I refuse to be the person who gives up and refuses to like have certain things in my house. But some, some things may, I may never mm -hmm. really have in my house because I'll just, just, you know, binge on them. You know, that's maybe that's something I have to, I have to accept. And I, I think you're right. Like, I, I think I, it's, it's about identifying for yourself. What are the, what are those things that you can't control well and being okay with needing to put some added control into place? Like, yes, we, again, we're not going to mention the brand, <laughs> but there is that, um, his historically amazing yeah. brand of nut butters. Um, that I, I mean, I told you, I think it was just this week <laughs> that I, I bought a four pack off Amazon of one of the flavors. And I opened that case on Friday, and by Sunday night, yeah. all four jars were gone. <laughs> and that was when I was keto, keto and trying to lose weight. And I'm like, I cannot. And I literally was like a robot, like scooping this nut butter into my mouth from the jar. Like there was no putting it into a nice bowl, or you know, trying to take a nice. You're not taking no, nice no. pictures for Instagram no, when you're on a nut butter binge. Uh, you know, you're not like you're not. Although I will say, I, the last time I did that, I, I that weekend, I, it might have been that weekend or another time. I took pictures with the empty jar mm -hmm. to kind of shame myself and I posted them so people would see. And people were like, how did you get your tongue into that jar? Cause I've never <laughs> seen a nut butter jar that clean. How did you do that? And I'm like, Oh, you don't even like, literally I'm scraping oh. my fingernails into the bottom of that jar. Like, is there a little bit more like you're a, you're a crack addict with it. And I, I think, and the funny thing is like, I, I, I was having a discussion with someone this week about cheat meals and, and cheat foods and things like that, that people were defining as such. 
And I said, if someone could like, they were like, you must be mad at me because you know I'm going to do this. And I'm like, I literally don't care. Like, I know for me what I can, I can and can't control and what choices I can make. But if someone else can have a cheat day or a cheat week or sit down with a pint of ice cream and half a jar of nut butter and then get right back on track, I applaud them. Like, I think that's fantastic that you have that you can do that. But I have to be realistic about what I can do, because if I'm not, that's when I yeah. find myself in trouble. Like, I have to take that that N equals one experiment to every level with this and like, look at these foods. And there's a lot of things we tasted at KetoCon that I was like, oh, my goodness, I want to buy this and take this home and have this with me for the rest of my life. And then I was like, if you feel that yeah, way, that I should know. not be and I, I, I think I told you, like, you you're very well aware of my nut problem. And like, that's the, one of my, my, my trigger foods. And I think one of the mm-hmm. things you have to realize, whatever addiction you have, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, if you're, if you're obese, food is an addiction. You know, that's the first thing you have to admit. Food is an addiction. Oh yeah. Um, whether you want to admit it or not, just like alcohol mm-hmm. or sex or whatever drugs, whatever you have, right. You're looking for a way of comforting that addiction. Right. Um, and you have to recognize when you have an addiction, mm-hmm. like what are your triggers? Like, what, cause like, um, you know, I, I work a lot in child welfare. And so one of the big issues in child welfare is substance abuse and parents. And I'm not a social worker, but I work with a lot of social workers and they talk about, you know, treatment and how they're trying to help parents avoid triggers and environments where they're more likely to relapse. That is very true for food. And while I, I refuse to, to give, ever give up, right? Like I, I, I refuse to like, I'm not to, to tell myself, oh, you can never have nuts again. I'm very aware of like, of, of certain things being triggers. And I think that goes back to certain things being hyper palatable. I had this experience, um, Last year, I went to, to mm. Ireland with my mom. I took my mom to Ireland for her 60th birthday. I actually went off keto because I tend to do that when I'm on vacation. Um, about going off, I'm going to try the local food because it's a once in a lifetime experience. You know, again, I'm not like a, I'm not a perfect, you know, sure. never going back carbs ever again person. I mean, I'm, I think keto is the way I'll eat the rest of my life. But if I'm going to be in Ireland with my mom on her 60th birthday, I'm going to have some blood pudding or whatever, you know? Um, and so right, while we were right. there, we, we were, we, we did a lot of driving and I remember stopping, but my mom and me are, we're, we tend to eat low carb. So we weren't just eating ice cream and, and all this stuff left and right. We were trying to mostly eat low carb, um, during our drives. And so we'd stop at gas stations and get nuts. And I remember we bought a couple of times, we bought a bag of mixed nuts and the, the mix, they were just boiled unsalted nuts. And we were both like, ew, these are gross. Like, I don't like this. And I'm like, yeah, this is not, this is, this isn't, this, is, this doesn't taste good. Then mm. you buy the nuts with salt, the same exact nuts. And, and it's like, you can't, you can't have right. enough. And it's something about that, that, that hyper palatable nature mm. of that salt or fat or whatever that just makes things really, really delicious. And so I think that that, and that's just an example of just a very simple food. And then you take that and you add like, like that, that mouthfeel or that, that, that art, that artificial sweetener, it just kicks up a notch and it becomes something that it's just really hard for you to like handle. It's like, um, and if you, you have that kind of addiction and that's going to trigger for you, you have to be honest with yourself and just not keep it around. I think that, I, th- I think that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. And I'd like us because we've been talking for a while. I, I, I there's something I want us to talk about that I, I don't want to miss. So I'm going to switch gears and it's still talking about food and it's talking about palatable food. But it's the food that you are the master of. You're the, you're the sensei. I want to talk about meat. I want to talk about meat. Let, let's get in. Let's talk about your meat, Miles. Let's talk yes, about meat. I love meat. Are you good with that? Talk about it all day. Okay, good. Well, I figured. I figured we're going to end up with a three-hour episode now because we're going to start. We're going to go off on a tangent with meat. But so you, 
make a lot of your, you, you, you know, a lot about cooking meat. You know, a lot about different cuts of meat. Uh, I think anytime I have a question about any kind of meat I want to prepare, you're probably my go-to person. So I want to open the door for you to one, talk a little bit about your, just, you know, have you always been a, a meat person or was it when you went low carb that you kind of discovered I, I this I've, love for In meat? terms of like quality, like, like well-prepared meat, it's definitely a low carb thing. Cause I, I, it's funny. I eat a lot of steaks and I grew up hating steak because my parents mm-hmm. didn't know how to cook it. They still don't know how to cook it. You know, <laughs> um, even after me kind of teaching them, mm. you know, no offense, mom, if you're listening to this, but they don't know how to cook it right. very well. Um, and so when I was a kid, I remember it was like, oh man, steak, it's chewy and rubbery and gross. And I don't like this. And my dad's preferred meat of choice was hot dogs. Mm. And so, and, and no, I, I love hot dogs, but hot dogs is mm. actually the most sexy gourmet thing. Um, but, but I remember distinctly when, when, right. um, when I discovered keto, they're like, oh, you're telling me I can eat bacon and, and steak and, and, and beef and lose weight. Like sign me up for that. Um, and I started mm-hmm. like, I started keto, like the classic. Not like, I guess the stereotype, I'm not saying everyone starts this way, but the stereotype is bacon and eggs and cheese and, you know, that kind of keto. And I started there and then I remember that I, I wanted to get more exotic. I remember making like, like, um, pizzas and, you know, bacon explosions, all these like absurd concoctions. And then, and then and at some point, right, um, right. It's like, you know, probably at the prodding of, of my girlfriend like wanting to cook less processed foods, if that makes sense. And the whole process is a, is a, is a very like loaded term. Sure. Um, but I wanted to eat more, more whole foods. And of so I, I started to get better cooking, cooking meat. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna learn how to cook these things. And I, so I really got into, um, meat that way. And I'm, I'm, I, my girlfriend tells me I have a very obsessive personality. Like anytime I discover anything new, I have to learn everything about mm-hmm. it. And so when I got into steak, I was like, I need to know everything about meat. So I need to know where everything comes from on the cow all the, all, all the, all the fine details. Uh, so I just know, so I just know. And so that oh, was yeah. kind of how I figured it out. And I started, I just started, um, going to the store and buying them and, and cooking them and, and learning from my mistakes along the way. I mean, that's why I tell anybody, you just start. If you want to learn how to do something, just try it. It's, it, it. Even if you fail the first time, it's a delicious experiment, you know? Um, hopefully if, unless you like oh, burn it to a crisp, then it's probably mm. a little bit gross, but, but you know, you right. learn from your mistakes and you'll get to eat them. Um, that's kind of how I got into it. Nice. So I have some specific meat questions for you that I want to, I want to let you kind of answer for people. So first, if you had to pick, what is your favorite cut of beef? And that's actually a really difficult question. It's kind of like choosing, um, which of your, your children's your favorite, but I guess deep downside, you you always know that when you're, Oh, I know that to be honest. Right. Uh, um, exactly. That's why I'm asking. Um, so for a long time, I, like anybody else, I think I was a, a, a ribeye man. You know, ribeye is a great steak. It's delicious. has mm-hmm. great flavor. Um, it's, it's relatively tender. It's got a lot of good fat on it. But I think my favorite um, cut of uh, beef is, is tri-tip. And I know like some people have ne- don't know what tri-tip is, mm. especially on the East Coast. Um, tri-tip is the Terry's major muscle from like the hip region of the cow, um, kind of near the sirloin and the round. Um, and it's, it's shaped like, it kind of looks like a boomerang. <laughs> if you look at it, if, if you go to like a butcher store, it looks kind of like a boomerang. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. And the tri-tip is become one of my favorite um, cuts because like ribeye is great on its own. And in fact, I think a ribeye doesn't need a lot of seasoning and too much seasoning kind of ruins the experience um, for me, to be honest, because it doesn't let the meat stand alone. Mm-hmm. But, but tri-tip, something about tri-tip, it like takes seasonings really well. It, every cooking method suits it. Um, and it's just, it's just very good. And as long as you know how to cut it properly, it's tender. 
it's not too fatty, but it has enough fat, doesn't dry out, and it just tastes. It's got that like mm. beefy flavor. Like I tell some people that like the farther back on the cow you go, the more beefy it tastes, but it tends to be less tender or less or less um, mm-hmm. less like um, I guess fat rich. But I think the tri tip is kind of like that Goldilocks zone. It's not as tender as a ribeye, um, but it's got more flavor than a ribeye. Um, so it's slowly become my favorite for sure. Um, and when it comes to ma- to making it, awesome. Um, I said before, it, 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 you can smoke it. Like in California, there's a thing called Santa Maria barbecue where it's like smoked. Um, you can cook it in your oven. You can, you can get it butchered as steaks and cook them like steaks. Um, I think it's one of the best cuts for sous vide because it, because it's got that boomerang shape. It's not going to cook evenly like on a, on a grill. Mm-hmm. If you, I mean, that can, that can be a pro and a con, right? Because if you're cooking for a big tri tip for people, some people want a more rare slice and want a more well slice. And because it's a boomerang, the, the tips are going to be well while the middle is rare, depending on how you cook it. So if, but if you, but because it's got that boomerang shape, you cook it in sous vide and get the, get edge to edge pink the whole way. And that's one of my favorite things. Right, right. Nice. So I want you to get controversial for a second and tell me, are you, in the grass fed or the grain fed? I am, I am 100% in the, in the grain fed. Um, I understand that grass fed meat is, is, uh, better, um, like in terms of like nutrient profile. Um, I'm not sure if it's better for the environment. I don't, I haven't really gone too deep in the weeds there, but I, I do know that cows, um, predominantly should be fed grass. Sure. Um, and that maybe grain isn't, isn't what's best for them. And, you know, the factory farming is bad, but, um, I think grass fed right, right, is, right. is far more expensive. It doesn't necessarily taste better. Um, and I haven't, I've tried a bunch of grass fed beef and I, I definitely come down on the side of, of corn fed just because you get a, you get a more consistent product that has more marbling and it tastes better. Now, some people really like the way grass fed mm-hmm. beef tastes, but I, I, I've had some really good ground beef. Um, there's a company, I won't mention them, but they sell, um, these boxes you can subscribe to and you get all, um, grass fed, grass finished beef. And I keep telling people, if mm-hmm. I can get just a box of their ground beef, I would subscribe to it alone because for some reason their, their grass-fed ground beef is delicious. But when it comes to grass-fed steaks, I am not a fan. And a lot of people will say like, oh, but yeah, the uh, fat profile and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, just have some fish. If you want the, if you want the omega-3s, you can get them in another source. Right, and right. I, if you, I eat a lot of fish. Right, you do. I, I, that makes, <laughs> I, I knew that was going to be the answer, but I wanted people to hear it because I think sometimes we get wrapped up in nutrient density and don't think, Hey, you know, may, maybe there's something there that might taste different or taste better. Like I, I think it's just something for people to consider when it comes to their meat. And then also actually look at what are the actual percentage differences and everything in the nutrient profiles and what's more important yeah, to you. Yeah. I mean, like, yada, 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 we could. Yeah, we can, I don't want to, to, to go on a, a too long of a tangent, but but I think the best way of looking at it right, is right. Eat, people should eat the best meat that they can afford. You know, if you if you if you can really afford grass fed and you really mm. like it, then go for it. But I don't think anyone should feel like they need to. Like there's some there's some sort of like I hate when people get dogmatic and say like keto is X or carnivore is X. And it's like you right. must eat grass fed. I'm like I think that's a little bit excessive. For sure, for sure. So what is the thing you think people do wrong with meat um, the most? The number one thing people do too much with meat is they don't use any form of temperature control. And uh, I'm a big fan of like lame metaphors or mm. cliche phrases, but I like to say that 
not using a temperature control is like driving at night without your headlights on. Yeah, you might get home, but the odds of crashing are very mm. high. And um, to me, like meat is about cooking it to a certain temperature, both for food safety reasons, but also for just enjoyment, right? There's nothing to me that's worse than overcooked meat right, or undercooked right. meat. And so the number one mistake people make is they don't have a thermometer. Like the, I get a lot of DMs on Instagram. And like the num number one question is like, oh, do you have a thermometer? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, you need to get a thermometer. And they always ask me why. And I'm like, well, because you're really just eyeballing it. I don't know how your oven cooks. I don't know how thick the piece of meat you have. Is it grass fed? Because it'll cook faster. Is it grain fed? How, how marble is the cut? You're just kind of flying blind. And yeah, I mean, I can cook a steak without a thermometer because I've done it so many times, right? I, I kind of know my setup. I know my skills. But if you want consistent results, you need some sort of temperature monitoring. Um, especially if you're cooking for other people, you know, if I'm, if I'm cooking for somebody else, I, I need to make sure that it's safe because if I give myself food poisoning, that's one thing, right? But if I give, I cooked for my whole office right. last month and I, I brought my meat thermometer with me to make sure everything was cooked properly because I didn't want anyone getting sick. Um, so the, mm. I think number one choice people, number one mistake people make is they, they don't um, have the proper tool. And number one tool is a thermometer for me. If that makes sense, I, I I think it's, I know for me, I've been cooking for a long, long time, and I've just recently really gotten into like mm -hmm. making sure I'm checking temperatures and it, it changes the experience with a lot of meats when you make sure you're cooking them to the right temperature. Like you can, you can learn new things about the food you're eating just by following something like as small as, as, as giving you it know, a poke with a thermometer, it, you know, through the cooking. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's mean, kind I of amazing. Beef, beef ribs um, on, on, on the smoker um, last month, first time. And I use the, you, not only do you have a thermometer to get the right temperature, but one, if you, if you talk to any like really good barbecue person, they're like, oh, you can tell when they're done when you stick the meat thermometer in and it has this amount of resistance, you know? So it's just a, a useful tool even for that. That's awesome. So I guess one of this, I'll wrap up the meat talk with, with one more question. And you already talked about tri-tip and, you know, not everyone sees it in their area and things along those lines. But what is the, is there a meat out there that you think people should try that they, they shy away um, from? That people shy away from? Um, yeah, or, or might not, or might not jump to mind. Like everyone, I think everyone thinks about ribeye and thinks about, you know, ribeye and tenderloin and, and things along those lines. And what is... What is something you think that doesn't get a spotlight? Uh, well, I enough? have one answer that that isn't necessarily beef related, and that's sardines. I think I think canned fish. I think canned sure. fish. Oh um, yeah. A lot of people are. Um, I mean, I, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. We have salmon, and we have like those kind of fish. But I think that, especially if you're going to do a ketogenic diet, right? Um, you need good good protein source. You want some good fats like mackerel, tuna, um, sardines. These these like the quote unquote stinky fish in a can. A lot of people are afraid of even trying them. And those mm -hmm. two, they, and people are, don't want to try them. They're afraid of trying them. And nothing annoys me more than when someone says, like, I'm afraid of trying something. And I'm like, why don't you just try it? Find if you don't like it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's if you don't like it, you don't have to try it. I think sardines are amazing. They have um, great macros. You can put a little bit of hot sauce or, or mustard on them. Something with, a little, with an acidity in there. And you can, you can make them taste amazing. Put some cheese on them. Smear them on a, on a flacker or something like that. They're just an amazing thing. Um, get the, get that healthy omega-3 fats if you're eating a lot of like, normal muscle tissue from the steak, for example. I think uh, there's not enough love for the sardine, you know? Um, I think it's one of the best things out there. I think when it comes to just, yeah? Well, oh, no, I was going to say, 
I do feel <laughs> personally feel attacked that. right now. I know you're. I know. I know you're. I know you're coming at me because of my my sardine fear that I have conquered recently, and I've even done mackerel. So I actually have some more sardines in my house now to eat this week. So don't don't worry. I'm, I'm not <laughs> shying away from them. Um, you know, I think when it comes to to cow or or beef, um, everybody knows about um, everybody knows about yep. Um, yep. about ribs. Uh, you know, like the ribeye. Everybody knows about the New York strip, mm-hmm. the T-bone, the tenderloin. I think if you're, if there's two um, uh, underrated cuts. I think I've, I've, I've helped kind of bring this to the, the forefront of a few of my friends. Is the chuck? The chuck is just in front of of the rib section, mm-hmm. it's the sh- basically the the shoulder shoulder blade area of, of the cow. Um, in the chuck, there um, you can buy chuck roasts or um, you can buy um, chuck eye steaks, chuck mm-hmm. tenders. Um, chuck has a, a lot, a lot of connective tissue in it. And so it can be kind of gristly. And I think a lot of people use them for roasts. But if you have a sous vide, you can make, um, a, like, you know, long, slow cooked chuck roasts into kind of tender steaks. If you, if you get, get adventurous and you have uh, some knives, you can actually buy a chuck roast and butcher it into a Denver steak and then a chuck eye steak. And the Denver and the chuck eye are really tender. And you, oh, wow. as long as you cut through, there's some connective tissue that runs through there and you remove that, you get really tender steaks. And so I think, the, Den- the Denver and the Chuck Eye are really um, mm. um, lesser looked at cut sometimes. Well, there you have it, people. Straight from the mouth of the meat master. Uh, Miles, I, I really appreciate it. I don't wanna, I'm going to take up your whole day, and I know you, got, you have things going on. So, one, I want to really say thank you for diving deep into your story. I, I think you share a lot of things that I think people are going to relate to and, and learn from, like seeing how our journeys take different, different twists and turns. Um, is there anything we, we, we talked about or didn't talk about today? And I'm definitely having you back. Um, one of the things I wanted to dive into with Miles that we will get into the next time we talk is our, our, our feelings about things like fat acceptance and frustrations in the, in the fitness community. So I, I think we, I didn't want us to turn a, turn a corner into heavy controversy with a few minutes left and, and cut it off. So we'll come back to that, but. Right now, is there anything that you started to talk about, or anything we were talking about that you want to you want to wrap up, or anything you would want to leave the um, audience with? I think you know, just looking back at you know, focusing on just being overweight and that kind of story about how it happened. I think the most important thing, if somebody is going through that or ha- wants to think about their own experience, is that um, it was a lo- it was a long, slow, steady process of getting overweight um, through a, a whole confluence of factors. And looking back at it's not very helpful to blame anybody um, like, you know, say, Oh, it's my mom's fault or my dad's fault or society's fault or my fault. Like there's a lot of factors, right. And it may be helpful to kind of impact them, but more importantly, you know, it's, it's to look at the fact that you're never sure what's going to cause you to get to, to, to go the other direction. It may be like a one-time thing. It may be a bunch of things, but all mm-hmm. it matters is that it happens. Um, so if you're, if you're listening and you, and you're, you're, you're struggling, you know, try to find something that can motivate you to get there. But more importantly, like I um, have, you know, been successful in keeping the weight off and losing weight, but it didn't happen overnight. It took years. You know, I started it, you know, almost eight years ago and I always tell people there's no finish line. Like if I, I'm still working on things, I'm working on my, my nut problem to this day. I'm working on my, my relationship with hyperpower food mm-hmm. to this day. And like that work is never going to end. And so it's not like about being perfect or getting it from day one or turning everything around from day one. It's a lifelong process. For sure, man. For sure, man. I think that puts a nice pin in it for us today. So I want to say thank you again uh, to Miles. Miles, where can people find you? Because 
there are literally dozens and dozens <laughs> of people listening to this podcast, and I know they're going to want to track you. Tr- they're going to want to track you down. I am I am working hard to get Miles to start meat lessons on Instagram. So y- you all go find him and send him messages and tell him you want to learn more about his meat. But but how uh, can I'm on Instagram? I'm Telecron on Instagram. Um, you know, Tango Echo Limo Echo Charlie Hotel Romeo Oscar November November Telecron. So it's yes, Telecron with two ends is really what we need to make sure we say. Yeah. To translate for people that aren't geeking out right <laughs> and now. And at some point I'll start. So that, oh yeah, so at that's some point awesome. I'll start a meat school, uh, Miles's meat school Go on ahead. Instagram. If there's enough demand. Yeah. There, there's more than enough demand. I, I know people that were walking around <laughs> KetoCon telling you to do it. So you, you need, you need to get that going. I think that'll be awesome. So thank you, man. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I hope that everyone out there listening to the Fat Guy Forum got something out of Miles' story. And, and where we, we where we we took that discussion, remember that you're amazing people out there. You're all doing things every day to amaze yourselves. So if you think you're amazing and you want to talk to me on the Fat Guy Forum, drop me a message. Find me on Instagram at gourmet underscore goes underscore keto on Twitter at gourmet goes keto. No spaces there. Or you can even email the show at the Fat Guy Forum at gmail dot com. Send me a note. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. And also, if you, there's something you want to talk about, whether you want to talk about it or you know someone I should connect with, I'd really love to hear from y'all. So, again, this is Gourmet saying goodbye. goodbye. You want to say goodbye, Miles? There we go. Have a great day, everybody. Do something. Take care of yourself today.